0: All right, good morning, Bethel. Well, if we are asking the Lord to speak to us, then what we ought to do is open the Word, and that's exactly what He will do. So turn um, in your Bibles to Psalm 32. Uh, You can find that passage on page 462 in the the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, um, you can just grab one. It's the black hardcover book underneath the pew in front of you. And um, in just a minute, we're going to read psalm 32 because we do need the lord to speak to us and he will by his word by his spirit all right let's turn uh, to psalm 32 and read this it's a good backdrop to our text for this morning the message that we're going to consider so if you wouldn't mind in honor of god's word if you could stand while i read Psalm 32, a maskil of David, which is a maskil is some kind of musical term. So, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Then David goes on to explain his own Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is God's word. You may be seated. Okay, so we've been going through the book of Isaiah. We hit chapter 48 last week, which is a good place to, to stop and take a break. Um, next Sunday, Don Marshall is going to be here with us, so you don't want to miss next Sunday. This is going to be the, the one Sunday that the Marshalls are here with us, so um, I hope that you all be here to hear God's word um, through, through him. It'll be great to see he and Sue. They get back from Florida on Saturday, and they'll be here with us Sunday. Um, and then, we're, again, we're going to take a little break from Isaiah and, and do a short series after that. So in between, we have this one Sunday. And so as I was thinking and praying, I've actually been wanting to preach this sermon for like 11 years. Um, so 11 years ago, I actually looked back because I... Um, well, I won't go into why. So 11 years ago... Um, I realized that it put some notes down from a sermon that I heard from John Piper, okay, on Proverbs 28.1. And when I heard that message, it was, it it left its mark. It's stuck with me ever since. I've shared bits and pieces of its truth with people many times over the years and have wanted to to preach on this, but it's never kind of come to the front burner. So first off, I say that to acknowledge the debt. I'll, I'll quote him at some point, but um, that message was really influential. And also, more recently, about a year ago, I listened to a message by Andy Nasali, who teaches up at Bethlehem College and Seminary um, in Minneapolis. And he did a message on the conscience. And I thought, man, that's really good. I need to like, outline that. And, um, so anyway, here we go. This all kind of comes together. It turns out that Andy came out with a book. He wrote it with a, a guy named J.D. Crowley who has been a missionary in Asia for his whole life, basically, most of his life. And so it's called The Conscience, What It Is, How to Train It, and Loving Those Who Differ. So I'm almost all the way through it. It's really good. Um, again, I'm acknowledging debt here. So I will try to quote, quote when I'm actually um, directly uh, using their words, but I'm telling you, these guys have influenced this message a whole lot. It's been really helpful to me, and I wanted to to give it to all of you as well. So here we go, Psalm 28.1. If you could turn there, our text for this morning is one verse. Proverbs 28, verse 1. On page 549, if you're using the the Pew Bible. And there's an outline in your bulletin, if you want to use that. the, The slides will also have the points... Um, up on the screen. Um, or we'll have the, the, the slides up on the screen for the points there as well. Okay, Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Really? Are we going to spend the next 40 minutes on, on that? Well, there's a lot here. So as we get started, I want you to picture a scale This actually may not be too hard for some of you to picture because maybe something like this has happened. So imagine your bathroom scale and you get on it and it tells the truth, right? And you don't like said truth that it tells and so you kick that scale in your bathroom. Then you get on it again and it registers that same stubborn truth. So you kick it again you get on it again, and now it actually registers a little bit higher. So you throw it. maybe like from the upstairs window. You go down, you grab that thing, you bring it back up, you get on it again. It registers as if we just went on the diet plan of the century. That's better. Is it? Is it better? Okay, that's kind of silly, kind of crazy, maybe. I don't know, maybe some of you have actually done that. Um, But that's actually often how we treat our conscience. You know we've all done violence to our conscience? It's a very natural thing to do. So, let's not just think of back there when I've done violence to my conscience maybe i mean i I think we do this all the time maybe more than we realize so maybe ask yourself a few questions as we as we start to make our way into this text can you be quiet with your own thoughts do you tend to try to avoid that in your average week or average day How antsy is your soul? I mean, do you, do you, are you uncomfortable if you have too much just time to think? Do you, do you want to avoid that? Are you, are you running from anything? Is there something that tends to come up whenever you do have that quiet moment and so you're not really, you don't really like what comes to the surface and so you tend to want to not go there? So you run from the light, which sometimes means you actually run from other people because other people, if they want to know you, sometimes can touch on things that uncomfortable. So you can hide just by having a veneer. You can hide by being non-social or antisocial, And obviously, I think we're pretty well aware of trying to hide from God or run from God. So the wicked flee... When no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. What does this verse mean? Well, let's dive in and take it apart. Why do the wicked flee? The wicked flee when no one pursues. Why do they flee? Do they always flee? Do the wicked always flee? Let's just get this out of the way real quick, okay? We need to notice that this is a proverb. You have to know there's a difference between reading poetry and reading Proverbs and reading history and reading apocalyptic. You know, if you're reading Revelation, you need to be careful. It's different from reading the Proverbs, right? So this is Proverbs. What does that mean? Well, these are things that are proverbially, generally true. So of course, the wicked are not always fleeing, Okay, sometimes the wicked are very bold, right? In fact, if you go back a little further in Proverbs to 14.16, it says this, One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Okay, so those are not at odds, because 28.1 is generally true, and it's making a point. So, of course, the wicked can be bold in a foolish sense, people who use drugs, dirty needles, who risk STDs, who drive drunk, who drive recklessly, etc., right? So, we'll just get that out of the way. And the righteous certainly can be timid, right? And they can be fearful at times, right? Paul had to tell Timothy to not be timid and fearful. So... Let's just make sure we recognize this is a proverb which means it's generally true. Despite the fact that there's some nuances or qualifications we could, we, should, we could make, it's very important to gain the wisdom that this proverb is revealing. Okay, Because what it's saying is true. The wicked flees when no one pursues. The question is, why? So we sat down last night with the kids and Asked that question. So how would you answer that question? Why do the wicked flee though no one pursues? Well, the answer was blurted out fairly quickly, one of the kids, because they've got a guilty conscience. Bingo. When you violate your conscience and you have a guilty conscience, you will flee when there's no one pursuing. So you got to think with me here. I, I've just been drinking this in this week because... I heard this message 11 years ago, but as I've been studying what the Bible says about the conscience, man, this is such important stuff. It's really, really important. So I, I, I want to share as much of that as possible this morning. So think with me here. The conscience is an amazing thing. So our culture, it's actually not a bad image. What's, what's the typical picture in our culture of the, of the conscience? You know, the whole angel demon thing on the shoulder. It's actually not too bad. So Let's say the devil's on the left-hand shoulder, temptation, horns and a pitchfork, although that's not what Satan would look like, Um, and the angel on the other shoulder, your conscience, right? So usually in the culture, the angel's portrayed as the boring killjoy type, but we'll set that aside. So it's not that far from the truth if you take away kind of all the silly cartoonishness out of the picture. Um... Our conscience is the evidence of the Creator, who is the judge, that He made us and that He stamped His image deeply in our being. It's this faculty within us that bears the image of a God who is just. So the justice and righteousness of God is is hardwired in us, okay? So what is this relationship then between conscience and guilt and running from pursuers where um, there aren't any? Like... What's that all about? How does that happen? Why does that happen? Well, here's where that message by John Piper gave, gave such help and, and made this indelible impression. He said this, Your conscience will create pursuers where there are none but ought to be some. Your conscience will create pursuers where there are none but ought to be some. And then he gave some examples. So I'll share a few of his and a few of my own. So... Have you ever had this happen, where ambulance lights turn into police lights? Well, it was just an ambulance, but what you're doing, you've got a guilty conscience, it turns those lights into police lights. There's nobody pursuing you. There's no, there's no cop on your tail trying to get you to pull over. Or maybe some of you, when you were playing sports, the whistle would blow. <laughs> And you're defending yourself before you realize the whistle was blown for someone else. But the way you played, is anybody tracking with me? Anybody play sports? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. All right. Um, How about, again, guilty conscience, a knock at the door from the UPS guy could be turned into a warrant officer or a sales call into a creditor call. Like... Does your anxiety go up when the phone rings, when the mail comes, if you've ever been on the receiving end of the creditor calls? Or how about when the boss calls you into his office? You might want to flee. But maybe he just wanted to ask you a question about some project. But if you've got a guilty conscience, you might be projecting something. It can turn just innocent inquiries, innocent questions from someone into Inter- feel, makes it feel like interrogation children respond this way sometimes but you know what we adults do the same thing as well It can be very defensive we're, we're fleeing when no one's pursuing I mean why do we even have this expression looking over your shoulder right precisely because of these dynamics so what, here's the question what do you do when conscience speaks up well typically it's fight or flight right fight, we get defensive, or flight, we hightail it out of there so we don't have to deal with it. There's also other mechanisms that we respond with when our conscience, we have the pangs of conscience um, stabbing at our heart. We try to pull fast ones on our conscience all the time. Like, are, are you aware enough of your own heart, of your own like how this works, how you just bob and weave and duck and cover when it comes to your conscience speaking to you, we try to manipulate this internal, independent prosecutor, this voice of warning. We try to strike deals with it sometimes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like compromises with our conscience? So you know that you shouldn't do this, and okay, maybe, but I I don't want to really completely not go that direction. So maybe I can just make a, a deal, and I can have my cake and eat it too. I'll just strike a little compromise with my conscience. We stiff arm our conscience. We do what we shouldn't do. We feel guilty and nervous. And then then what do we do? Sometimes we do a makeup call in order to try to pacify or soothe our conscience. That doesn't work. I knew that was wrong. Maybe if I just do this, then I'll feel better and it'll... Or do you just turn up the volume, like literally or figuratively? Do you turn up the activity? Even religious Some people just get really busy with religious stuff to try to pacify their conscience, and they never actually deal with what's in there. You can drown it with alcohol, you can drown it with work, you can drown it with TV, video games, you can just get busy to avoid, you can go to sleep to avoid, and in our day and age, just the constant distraction, just at the tap of a finger, screens, television, smartphones. We never have to face ourselves and hear what our consciences are saying. Do you think maybe that could be an instrument in the devil's hands? Like maybe we should stop and think this one through? Okay, so since we're diving into a subject that maybe isn't talked about nearly enough, Um, Let's start with some definitions and descriptions, okay? So conscience 101 here. Point number two, what is the conscience? Um, Let's go for a, a, a definition here. One dictionary puts it like this. The inward faculty that enables you to distinguish right and wrong. That's pretty simple, pretty clear. The inward faculty that enables you to distinguish right and wrong. Andy Nassali in this book, The Conscience, gives... A slightly expanded definition, which is helpful. The conscience is your consciousness, in terms of moral awareness, of what you believe is right and wrong. The conscience is your consciousness of what you believe is right and wrong. Okay, And then he has this great summary of the functions of the conscience. So so listen, there's, there's even a nifty chart in the book, but I'll just verbalize it to you here in summary. The conscience both looks back and it looks forward, okay? So as it looks back, it functions like a monitor or like a witness or like a judge. So that function can be either positive or negative. So negatively, as it looks back, it can accuse and condemn you when you do wrong because your conscience wants to lead you to justice to get this right. So it can function like a prosecuting attorney, right? Positively, as you look back, as it looks back, it can commend and defend you when you do right. You see? So it can function in a sense like a defense attorney. Looking forward, conscience functions like a guide. So negatively, it warns you before you do wrong positively it urges you to do right with me okay do you see how it looks back how it looks forward so it's a servant of justice it's a servant of your peace and protection of keeping you on the path it's a servant that god gave it to us for the sake of our peace to protect our peace peace with him peace of mind and heart peace with others now there's a whole lot more that we should know about our conscience. Let me just mention a few, a few more of these things. So one, everybody has a conscience, even, even the most hardened criminal, because the problem with their conscience is that it's seared. Doesn't mean they don't have one, it's just that it's seared, like as with a hot iron. Okay, this is inherent to every person made in God's image. It's internal. It's what you believe is right and wrong. So mostly it's reliable, but it can also be twisted and malformed, right? So sometimes we can differ um, with what... We'll talk a little bit more about that later. So it's internal. It's what you believe is right and wrong. And yet, this is crazy. Think about this. It's independent of you. Your conscience can plague you with guilt even when you want it to stop. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? It's internal. It's what you believe and yet you can want to shut up, and you can't. I think that's amazing. It can, another thing about it, it can change over time, which can go in either direction. It can become more hardened or more softened. It can be shaped according to different convictions, um, whether that's the Word of God or the world the spirit is usually working in concert with our conscience so holy spirit and our conscience are not the same thing but the spirit certainly speaks to us through our conscience and satan can also try to co-opt our conscience for his purposes so in the bible there's 30 times this word is used in in the new testament um, I'll just run through this really quickly, but the, it, it speaks of the conscience positively in a couple ways and negatively in several ways. I'm just going to, you can go to BibleGateway.com and type in conscience, and they'll all come up. You can look at, actually, most of them will. Sometimes it's translated consciousness. Anyway. Um, But your conscience can be cleared, it can be perfected, it can be good, blameless, clear, clean. You can have a strong conscience. So that's one way the Bible talks about, or or positive ways the Bible talks about conscience. And then there's the negative ways. Your conscience can be weak, defiled, wounded. Yours can be wounded, and you can actually wound another person's conscience. It's a big deal. We're not going to have time to get into that this morning. It's important. Your conscience can be emboldened to sin. It can be evil. It can be guilty. It can be seared as with a hot iron. 1 Timothy 4.2. So, our consciences are generally reliable, but there are two main ways that a malformed conscience presents itself. Oversensitive, undersensitive. Oversensitive and insensitive. Hypersensitive, hyposensitive for you medical people out there. Um, So hypersensitive consciences, think of someone who grew up in, in a legalistic environment. They can have false guilt over things that aren't sinful. So when your conscience is weak, it's hyperactive or overactive about things that are not sin so false guilt can come in self-condemnation over accidental mistakes or things that are just kind of preference issues not real right or wrong issues that's one way that the, con- the conscience can be malformed also it can be insensitive and this is probably obvious dull hardened deadened there are people who have sex before marriage without guilt of course And we can multiply examples, but you get the idea. The more that we stick our fingers in our ears when conscience calls, the more we stuff it down when it rises up, the more inactive and silent and insensitive it becomes. It's just sobering. That's why we need to really take care of our conscience, of our scale. If you use the instrument analogy, we need to take care of it. So we've all stiff-armed our consciences numerous times. When it was pointing back, accusing us, as well as when it was pointing ahead, warning us. We've all done it. We're all guilty. We know it. If we're honest with ourselves, we know it. We we don't want to face it. We know it. And yet we want a clear conscience. We hate being plagued by a guilty conscience. So, what can cleanse the conscience? I mean, you can try all kinds of spiritual dollar store cleansers on the oil spill in your soul, but it is not going to do it. They don't work. What do we try? We try to compare ourselves with others to make ourselves feel better about this guilt. We can try to focus on the good things we've done. Well, at least we can try to make up for it. We can volunteer, give money, serve people, beat ourselves up, try to feel the victim. Get ourselves to feel more victim than perpetrator, and maybe that'll do it. So when your conscience is sensitized to how holy and pure God is, he is white-hot holy and pure and righteous. He's perfect, and he knows everything. Every thought, every deed, every attitude, everything we've done, everything we should have done but didn't do. He knows it all. When you're aware of how sinful you are, you haven't kept, I haven't kept my own standards, let alone God's. We haven't trusted or loved the God to whom we owe everything. We certainly haven't trusted or loved him with all of our heart. We haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. We've lied and cheated and stolen and used and manipulated and been selfish and prideful and envious and slanderous and on and on and on and on and on. And so our conscience will rightly condemn us. And that can lead to despair and paralysis, or it can lead you to Jesus. So turn to Hebrews chapter 9 so you can see a couple of key uses of the term conscience in the New Testament. And then we'll get back to bold as a lion, righteous as bold as a lion. So Hebrews chapter 9, if you're using the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 1005. So what can cleanse the conscience? What can wash away my sin when Satan or when my conscience tempts me to despair, what do I do? Well, in Hebrews 9, after a description of the old covenant and the sacrifices that were just made year after year, offered by priests who were imperfect, they had to offer sacrifices for themselves first and then also for the people, and it was just on and on and on and on and on, and it didn't really take away sins. It was, it was temporary and symbolic. Hebrews 9.9 9 says this, According to that arrangement, the Old Covenant, sacrificial system, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Now look at verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then, look at verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, it did in the Old Testament in a provisional way, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He's the mediator of a new covenant. Now, flip to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Just probably the, the opposing page there. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, you know, into the holy of holies, the very presence of God, his flesh was torn so that the the curtain could be torn from top to bottom and we could have access to God and we could come with confidence into God's throne room and his throne would be a throne of grace for us. So since we have confidence to enter God's presence by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Yes! That's worth singing about. We've sung about it already, but I mean, that's why there are songs like Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And speaking of that fount, there's a fountain, another hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. How blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Psalm 32 Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there's no deceit. That is such good news. If you know what your conscience has told you about who you are and you know the cleansing blood of Jesus, oh man, how can you help but praise the Lord for His grace, this blessedness that we know because we've been forgiven. So many of you are familiar with John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. I actually quoted a different part a couple of weeks ago, or was it last week? I don't know. It's an allegory of the Christian life if you're not familiar with it. Um, and at one point, the main character, Christian, faces off against Apollyon, okay? The dragon, it's you know, um, it's Satan. And so it's a picture of how Satan often works. So Satan loves to accuse Christians of their sin. Did you ever notice that? In fact, Revelation 12 talks about Satan, the ancient serpent, (laughs) the dragon, as the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of, of God's children. So listen to this part from the story. This is Christian in a battle with Apollyon. Apollyon accused, you almost fainted when you first set out, when you almost choked in the swamp of Despond. You also attempted to get rid of your burden in the wrong way instead of patiently waiting for the prince to take it off. You sinfully slept and lost your scroll. You were almost persuaded to go back at the sight of the lions. And when you talk of your journey and of what you have heard and seen, you inwardly desire your own glory in all you do and say. Satan wags his finger at us because we're guilty. Here's what Christian says in response. He says, all this is true and much more that you have failed to mention. But the prince whom I now serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. Besides, these infirmities possessed me while I was in your country, for there I allowed them to come in. But I have groaned under them. Just like Psalm 51 that we sung, have been sorry for them and have obtained pardon from my prince. When Satan tempts me to despair or your conscience and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see Jesus there, who made an end of all my sin. Because my sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. Jesus took it for us. God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Okay? So Satan's purpose for using your conscience is completely different than the Holy Spirit's purpose's. Pangs of conscience can be tools in either of their hands, Satan's hand or the Spirit's hand. Satan, what does he do? He loves to accuse and condemn in order to paralyze and enslave you. The Holy Spirit accuses and condemns in order to get our attention, to arrest us, arrest our attention, stop us in our tracks. Why? So that he can rub our face in it? No, so that we can repent and believe and be set free and be at peace again. It's always to lead us back home. It's always to lead us through to freedom and peace. So, Jesus's it is finished is why and how we can have a clean, perfected conscience, like Hebrews 9 and 10 say. And when you experience that cleansed conscience, you don't have to look over your shoulder anymore. You can become lion hearted and bold, which is why the righteous are as bold as a lion. Back to Proverbs 28.1. The righteous are as bold as a lion. How is a lion bold? Well, it's king of beasts, so it has no fear. It doesn't need to live in fear of predators. So if you are reconciled to God by the blood of the cross, if you are at peace with God, if God is for you, who can be against you? If God has justified you, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did, who can condemn you? So do you see how the gospel makes us bold? Let me give an illustration, an example of Martin Luther, the life of Martin Luther. So this conference this past week was in anticipation of next year, which is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Okay, so Martin Luther right at the center of the Reformation with his recovery of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So Luther, do you know how he started out? He started out as a monk. Well, he started out before that, but anyway. He was a monk at one point who was utterly plagued. I mean, like, angst, 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 sort of plagued by his sins and his unrighteousness before God. He spent hours as a monk confessing his sins. He would drive his, what do you call the guy on the other side, Anyway, the priest on the other side drive that guy nuts, like, Martin, get out of here. Because he would just confess even the most minor sins. He's worried that he might forget some. He's filled with all this angst and guilt and fear. So here's a summary in his own words of what he was like before he got the gospel. I was a devout monk and followed the rules of my order so strictly that I cannot tell you all. If ever a monk entered into heaven by his monkish merits, certainly I should have obtained an entrance there. The doctors and theologians told me to do good works and thus to satisfy divine justice. But what good works can proceed out of a heart like mine, a heart full of evil thoughts and desires? Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction, so nothing could settle his tormented conscience until... Until he understood the gospel of free grace through faith in Jesus. Listen to how he describes this. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating night and day, I gave heed to the context of the words. Namely, in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Romans 1. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's the power of God for salvation. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift from God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. He knew by grace, not by his merits or his efforts, that he was reconciled to God. He had peace with God. He was righteous before God in his sight. God was for him, not against him. And who did Martin Luther become? He became one of the most lion-hearted champions of the faith. So Many of you are familiar with this scene, but he stood at one point before the most powerful people in his world at the time, at the Diary of Worms, being tried as a heretic to recant his writings. And actually, he was nervous going in, just for what that's worth. A little shot of realism for all of us. He was scared to death. And the first day, he kind of like, didn't really have. He went back and prayed, and he was ready when he came back the next day. By grace, God met him prepared him, and he said these words that have echoed down through history, "'Unless I am convicted by Scripture and plain reason, "'I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, "'for they have contradicted each other. "'My conscience is captive to the Word of God. "'I cannot and I will not recant anything, "'for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. "'God help me. Amen.'" And he didn't know if he was going to die or not. He didn't die. It's kind of an amazing story that he didn't, and you can go read, read up on that yourself. So throughout the remainder of his life, he was incredibly industrious and prolific in his work, okay? But everything had changed. <laughs> he made this statement once later in life, and I think it's just indicative. If you... He became so comfortable in his skin. I mean, if any of you have ever read Luther, I mean, he's just hilarious because he's so, like, shoot from the hip. Um, Not this angst-ridden monk anymore. Here's what he said about the Reformation on the tail end as as it had really gained traction. And so he he spoke about his life and, and what the Lord had done through him. He said, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my Philip and my Amsdorf." Philip Melanchthon and Amsdorf, um, Nicholas von Amsdorf. The word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing. The word did it all. Now, he wasn't just sitting in the pub like for the rest of his life. But the whole point is, he knew that it didn't rest on his shoulders. He was bold as a lion. He wasn't running anymore. In fact, he was running, but he was running the race that was set before him with his eyes fixed on Jesus. So what about us? Are you relationally cold? I'm just. Here's a few examples, maybe, bold as a lion. Are you relationally cold and distant or maybe relationally handicapped because you're afraid of being known? Is it possible that maybe it's tied to some of these things that you've stuffed down? You don't want to deal with them, and if you get too close to somebody, you might, you you don't even want to be honest with yourself, let alone someone else be honest at that level. Do you have skeletons in the closet? Do you have things you don't want found out? Do you see how you're just going to keep running from people? But what if God knows all of that, and what if Jesus died for all of that in order to to set you free, like with the rest of us, sinners who deserve condemnation and we've been set free, you know what? We could actually say, this is, this is who I was. This is what I did. This is what I struggle with. <laughs> we don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to run anymore. God knows, and he accepts us. We can be bold as a lion. Or how about maybe you, you can't love well, when you're plagued by a bad conscience. Because again, you're constantly on the run. You won't be bold as a lion. You're not comfortable in your skin for the sake of love. Like, think about it this way. Are you ever timid to challenge, like, to actually confront someone in love or speak the truth in love if it's a hard thing? Is that like totally outside the bounds for you? Like, I could never do that. I wonder, sometimes that can be tied to the fact that we have a guilty conscience. We've never really dealt with it. And so we don't ever want to confront anyone else because we'd feel like a hypocrite. Or how about timidity and witness? Because you're holding God out at arm's length. If you are afraid to be alone and quiet with God, then would you really be able to bring someone else close to him? Like, if Christians aren't really at peace with God, and I don't just mean, like, forensic righteousness, you know. I'm talking about, like, are you at peace with God relationally? If Christians aren't at peace with God, how are we going to help anyone else find it? And do you see how this is a dangerous self-perpetuating cycle? If you're afraid to be alone with your thoughts, you're going to avoid thinking and praying. Which, when you avoid thinking and praying, things happen that you are ashamed of and you regret, which means you want to stuff it down all the more. Do you see how it can be a dangerous cycle? It's a recipe for disaster. So we need to pull out of that. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. This isn't by accident. We're not on this passage by accident. Listen to just a very clear, simple prescription here by Andy Nassali on page 53 in this book. When your conscience rightly condemns you, you should confess your sins to God and any other person you've sinned against in order to make things right. And instead of wallowing in self pity about how wretched you are, look to Jesus, look to the cross. But that first sentence, for some of you, might be just well nigh impossible. I should confess my sins to God. Okay, maybe I would be willing to do that, but any other person I've sinned against, I can't, I can't ever do that. I hope God gets you over the hump today. I know there's stuff that held me captive for years. I was a thief as a little kid. And that sin held me captive for years. And finally one day in college, my freshman year, when the Lord brought that back up after he grabbed a hold of me, he brought that back up and for the first time, not because of anything in me, but because he had given me faith in his goodness that he was trustworthy, I thought, well, I'd rather go to jail with God than keep trying to Go through the motions without him. So is there anybody in that boat here? I, I I almost like guarantee there are people that are just like wrestling right now. Anytime talk of like this comes up in any message or when you're listening to something or when you're reading the Bible, what what is it that comes to the surface? Please deal with it. Get some help to deal with it. I would be happy to talk with you. There's other folks in the church that, you know, just love to grow as biblical counselors. They can be helpful and walk alongside you. They're not going to judge you. They're not going to, you know, tisk tisk at you. They're going to help you. Why does God do this? Why does he give us a... Just so that he loves to stick it to us and put his finger in our chest and, you know, grind us into the dirt. No, he wants to set you free. Do you know what it's like? Like, I know what it's like to be totally enslaved to these, like shameful things that I had done for years. And it was so costly and painful, and I turned away, turned away, turned away, turned away from actually walking through it because it was too costly, too costly. And finally, God gives me grace. Maybe he's gonna give you grace today to face it because you know what's on the far side of that fiery middle is peace. And peace with God, and you can actually, like, you can sleep, you can... you can. You can like, be free of that anxiety and become bold as a lion. So I don't know, but I'm, I'm just praying that the Lord will get people over the hump. I mentioned witness as well. God may want you to take a baby step of boldness and witness this week. Bold as a lion. Here's an idea. Ask somebody this week, hey, why do you think we have a conscience? Where did that come from? I mean, isn't it crazy? It's internal, and yet it's independent. What's up with that? I was on the plane on Friday, sitting beside, you know, I'm an introvert, okay? Sitting in the plane, I just want to... So this guy's like, you know, like feverishly tapping away on his, on his um, iPad. And I you know, think, well, he probably doesn't want to talk. And then he fell asleep, and I'm like, okay. And then there's a lady on this side. Well, should I talk to her? You know, I wasn't being as bold as the lion. finally, near the end, I, I said, hey. So I strike up a conversation, and he was just wide open to talk about these things. Turns out that he had toyed with becoming a Catholic priest at one point in his life, and we had a good conversation. He gave me, I didn't even ask for it, he gave me his business card, and we'll hopefully continue the conversation on stuff that matters. On, I actually showed him this book and t- sharing some of the things that, that uh, I was learning. So if you believe the gospel, does that mean, I'm, I'm gonna maybe address an issue that might kind of be bubbling to the surface in this um, as we get close to being done here. So if you, if you believe the gospel, does that mean you say, Jesus dealt with it, therefore I don't have to? Because you might be like, okay, I'm good with confessing my sins to God. It doesn't mean you confess everything to everyone. Like, I once had an envious thought of you. I need to go track every. No, 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 no. But like, I had stolen things from people. I have something that belongs to them. I need to go and get that right. But we would like to just kind of deal with it here and not have to deal with some of the horizontal implications. Here's what I would say. It's not because Jesus dealt with it, therefore I don't have to. It's because Jesus dealt with it, therefore I can deal with it. Because I know who I am. I'm safe with God and he's going to go with me. So last point, take care of your conscience. So God wants us to have this freedom of heart, peace of conscience that that, um, makes us bold as a lion. If you don't have it, why not? What, what do you need to deal with? We don't live in a particularly self-aware, self-reflective, kind of honest with yourself sort of age. We can, like I said, constantly call it these distractions. So listen to what the Apostle Paul said when he was describing his own life in Acts 24, 16. You ever remember reading this? I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. So that would be kind of the summary application is what is it going to look like for you to take pains, to have a clear conscience? Don't abuse your conscience. Don't kick the scale. Listen to, sensitize your conscience by the word of God and through prayer. So did you ever notice at the end of Psalm 19, he says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Don't let me stiff arm you. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Are you willing to slow down, quiet yourself before the Lord, and pray those words and whatever he brings to the surface? Oh, Lord, give me strength and courage to deal with them. Maybe you need to tell somebody in your community group so that you have some accountability and someone praying for you as you work through some of the stuff you might need to get right, someone you need to call or someone you need to sit down with and apologize or admit something or maybe you need to go to the IRS or maybe you need to talk to your spouse. See, we, we do things. We spend money that we shouldn't have spent so we try to hide it. There's all kinds of ways that we do this. And you're afraid of the fallout. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Are you afraid to pray that prayer? If you're afraid to pray that prayer, you've got to focus on the God who gave you a conscience not to grind you into the ground, but to lift you up and give you freedom by the power of the gospel and set you free and give you peace, perfect peace in your heart. So remember that description of the functions of conscience. As it looks back, it functions like a monitor, a witness, a judge, negatively it accuses and condemns you when you do wrong your conscience wants to lead you to justice so if it's pointing something out listen to it don't don't like you don't want a callous conscience don't don't push that down listen to it looking forward as we walk out of here we're going to we're going to hit stuff we're going to hit tempting scenarios and situations And when our conscience acts like a guide and it says, no, listen, we need to listen. We need to take pains to have a clear conscience. Um, So I have a chainsaw, and there's a little rule of thumb. Keep a sharp chain sharp. If it gets really, really dull, it takes a long time to get it back in order. But if you keep it up with regular sharpening, it just takes like one or two pulls with the file and you've got a sharp chain. That's how we ought to live with our conscience. So as long as your conscience is held captive to the word of God, to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. The Wicked flees, though no one pursues. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Let's pray. Oh God, I'm just assuming that we have some business to do with you and most likely with others as well. Please, Lord, don't let us drown out the, the calls of conscience, the calls of your spirit that we have heard this morning. Please give courage to follow you down that road wherever you lead us and where we need some help or someone to hold our hand to pray for us to support us to cheer us on in this path please help us to do that so help us lord to come to you that we have so that we would have strength to follow you wherever you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.